Good to see you all today. Welcome, those of you at the Union Campus watching. Yes, that's right. We're live streaming. Second week now, live streaming. We're excited here. Hopefully you guys are as well. So uh, yeah, we kicked this off last week, and so to catch some of you up, in case you missed it, right, we got a couple of the case you missed it uh, today, and uh, so 2012, we launched the Union Campus, and so they've always watched a pre-recorded message. Uh, our tech team's been working really, really hard to get to this moment so that we can all be together in the moment, right? We think that's a big deal, because it's one church, two locations, but it's one family together, and so just the idea of us being with, and so, you know, when I'm scanning the room, every now and then I'll stop and look right at the, the camera there at the blue light. That's because I'm talking straight to, to Union, so glad that you're here today. Roger Babick from Master Provisions is hosting at the Union campus, never lacking in energy and enthusiasm. So uh, thanks to, to Roger for uh, setting the tone there. And so if you're a first-time guest, whether at the Union campus or Burlington, welcome. That was the first, in case you missed it. The second is this. Uh, if you weren't here last week or weren't on social media, we announced that October 25th, we're launching a Thursday night service. And so all the reasons for launching a Thursday night service are in the message from last week. Get there on the website or the Facebook page. Uh, but the short answer is there are a lot of people who are unable to attend church on a weekend. And there are a lot of people who we believe that we could reach on a Thursday night that we would not be able to reach on a Sunday morning. And so we want to go all out as a church, making it as easy as possible for people to be a part of a church family and ultimately know the grace and love of Jesus Christ. And so that's October 25th, and uh, we're looking forward to that. This is an exciting weekend. This weekend and next, uh, what is foundational uh, to our first church culture here are small groups. Because the reality is you can, just, you can come to church on a Sunday and, uh, and, and, and miss a few weeks and not really be missed, so to speak, because we don't know. And here's the deal. We want to miss you. We want to miss each other. That's the reality. You're part of a small group. Guaranteed you're going to be missed by somebody. So today and next week, uh, we're, we have signups for small groups out in the lobby. We call them life groups because we believe people should do life together. Our value is no one walks alone. Life is meant to be gone through together. Life is meant to be shared. Now, I know many of you already signed up for a life group here at both campuses. Many of you have never made that jump, and you're like, oh, I don't know, especially us guys who are introverts. You're like, yeah, it's too much talking and sharing and vulnerability. That doesn't sound like a great time. Uh, it's worth it. So some of you are like, well, I hear what you're saying. That description sounds nice, but if you show a promo video, I'm in. We got a promo video. Here's, here's a promo video. You can see why we didn't use uh, real people in the making of that video. <laughs> Hopefully you get the, the main point. Life is dangerous if lived alone, right? So we're gonna, life is very dangerous if lived, lived alone. So hey, after uh, each service of both campuses, go out to the lobby, check out all the options, right? And those, those options will be out there next week as well if you wanna talk to your family about what night works best for you. And uh, it, that's the foundation, right? And we want people to be known and be connected there. 
The other, the last, in case you missed it from last week, uh, we mentioned that in October we're going to have a missions fair where all of our uh, missions that we support and missionaries from around the world come here, which is an awesome thing. We can see them front and center and encourage them and celebrate what they're doing. Uh, But we don't want it just to be an annual event. We want to celebrate and be more connected to what we get to do, what we get to partner with around the world on a more regular basis. And so what that looks like, what that means is we want to do a monthly missions uh, highlight or spotlight where we let you catch a glimpse or get to know a little bit more about the missions that we support here that you all support through your giving and uh, what they're doing and an update and then uh, some next steps that we can take as far as praying for them and how we might be able to help them. So today we're kicking it off with Grundy Mountain Mission School in Virginia. They do some great work. We've been partnering with them for a long time. Here's a video of what they're doing. None of my family wanted me, so I was literally about to live on the street. At that point, I knew I wasn't gonna pass high school. Like, I was planning on dropping out. The place I came from is really not a safety place because, you know, sometimes the Boko Haram always attack people at night, so people doesn't even sleep at home. I come from like a big family, but like small income. I've seen the difference like in the standard of education I get from here. If you could rescue children from desperate situations all over the world, where would you take them? To a place where they can feel safe and loved. A place where they can receive an outstanding education. A place where they can grow spiritually That place is Mountain Mission School in Grundy, Virginia. For nearly a century, Mountain Mission School has been a lifeline for children needing a sanctuary. Whether due to the loss of parents, devastating poverty, or dangerous situations, children who have no hope have always found a welcoming home at Mountain Mission. I know that there were some days I just came out on the playground and I sat down and just looked at where I was and it just got me to reflect on like what life should be like with the way people get along with each other. I just felt like if everyone could get along with each other the way we do in school here, I don't think the world would have a problem. I love the picture uh, that they're living out of, of, of catching a glimpse of the hope that Jesus has in mind for everyone and hope that they would not find any other place. And so they have a safe haven where literally people from around the world can come, get an education, and, uh, and graduate and, and move on and have jobs. And, and so we get to be a part of that. And this is why we want to highlight things like this throughout the year. And so before the 930 service, I didn't get the updated number, there were still 70 students left to be sponsored. What that means is you go and you get clothes for them or you give a, a financial donation that would go toward that. And so it's providing the basics of what they need. And so these kids, you know, as they enter into the school, we get to bless them with the necessities of making school worthwhile for them. So you can go out to the lobby at either campus afterwards to find out if there's any more of those kids or to get more information and be in prayer for them. Now we're kicking off a series uh, today called There Is No Them. 
right? Not, never ideal to have a title to anything that communicates primarily from the negative standpoint, but here's the reality. There is a them. In the culture, in the world that we live in, unfortunately, we too often, too instinctively posture ourselves, us and them. And so that them is gonna be, it's gonna look differently for every single person, every single group of people, based on your beliefs, your preferences, and your values. The problem with that is the reality of the radically inclusive grace of Jesus Christ. He has something different in mind, and we too often get it wrong. And so as a church, we need to expand our vision, step back, and try as hard as we, we can to see through the eyes of Jesus, or else we'll continue to play small, we'll continue to get it wrong. Let me pray for us, and we'll get into it. God, in these moments, as we look to you and to your word, we pray for guidance, we pray for clarity, specifically vision. God, we want to see people how you see them. We want to get it right. We don't just want to be a church that has services. We want to be a church that is on the move, loving people like you've, you love them and like you've called us to, to be in action. And so, God, we look forward to how you're going to speak into us today, make us open to receive your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. At some point in our lives, every single one of us has been asked the question, whose side are you on, right? Could be in, within your family, could be uh, at a meeting at work, Right? There's a disagreement, one, one group of people believes this, another group of people believes that, and they, they come to you, whose side are you on? You better pick a side, because if you don't pick a side, well, then you're not included anywhere. You're kind of out there on your own island, right? And you're not, you don't have your group, right, that you're connected to. See, we live in a world where you're forced to pick a side, right? If you want to find a sense of belongingness, I don't think this is ideal. Have you noticed... This is where we, unfortunately, all too often get an accurate picture of what it should like, look like when we look at kids. Have you ever noticed how young kids instantly make friends, right? They show up, and they, they, they see each other, and they have toys, and, you know, parents are, are talking, and they're meeting each other, right? And the kids just start playing, right? There, there aren't in introductions, there aren't too many questions, right, evaluating. You're like, oh, okay, who are you? Where do you come from? You know, what kind of kid are you? What are you into? What do you believe, right? Kids just start connecting with each other. After the 930 service, uh, you know, just a few minutes ago, I saw this play out. We had two kids here at the Burlington campus uh, that go to, to Villa Madonna. Their parents hadn't, hadn't met each other, right? And so they're, you know, they're doing that thing and meeting each other, and it's all great. But the kids are like, oh, no way, you're from school. It's like this immediate connection where they're drawn to each other based on familiarity. You know, there's a little boy and a little girl, right? And they're just like, oh, wow, that's cool. Like, you know, we just, we just want to talk. And they're just like, you know, kids don't know what to say. They just stare at each other. It's like, wow, this is cool. I don't have words to describe why this is cool or how this is cool. My parents might think it's cool. The, the guy up front talking thinks it's cool, but we're just going to stare at each other. It's like, wait a second, church, school, you got to get but they just think that's an awesome moment. And so it's natural, right, for a reason. That's how God created us. And kids instantly make friends with whatever kids they're around instead of sizing each other up. But somewhere along the way of growing up, unfortunately, we stop seeing each other as potential friends and instead start noticing the differences that keep us apart. We battle against what God has created innately, which should be instinctive. We see someone else and we're drawn to them. We're fascinated by the opportunity to connect. It's natural, but somewhere along the way, instead, we see differences before we see the actual person, what separates us as opposed to what could connect us. We live in an oppositional culture on a, whole, on a, on a lot of levels. 
And so people will say things like, if you disagree with me, well, then there is no we, there's only them, right? Oh, okay, you're on that side. Oh, you're, you're one of them, you, you, believe, you believe that. People will say, can you believe what, what they did, what they said, what they believe? Wow, man, I'm glad I'm, I'm, glad I'm not like them. Sometimes people will say, they don't belong here. But they don't belong here. We say that based on a certain set of expectations. They don't act like us. They don't believe what we do, right? They're, they're, they're not up to the times. Or they, don't, they don't get what's actually true, what is actually right. They, they don't belong here, right, in this place where we're surrounded by other people that look like us, act like us, agree with us. Like, we're the ones that get it. <laughs> they, don't, they don't belong here. So we say, if you, you don't come to my side, then, you know, I have no use for you and your opinions. And so that's why we live in such a divisive culture where we can't even have adult-like conversations, understanding that it's okay not to agree on every little thing, but it's important for us to get to a point where we're not sacrificing the person or the relationship for the sake of merely being right, because the reality is we're all going to get to heaven one day and be like, oh man, really? I spent my entire life so passionate and convicted about that thing that just had to be true. Come to find out it didn't matter, it wasn't true at all. And it's a perspective. Came way too late. See, the problem with this mindset is that the message of Jesus doesn't write people off. The message of Jesus says there is no them. <laughs> right? There is no line. Are you on that side? They're on this side. The reality is if the good news is not good news for everyone, it's not good news for anyone. Lest we ever get to a point where we're celebrating any kind of good news that we're living in, especially relationship with Christ, believing that someone else maybe sits out outside of that or isn't worthy of experiencing the hope that we have. See, the good news is that God's love is radically inclusive. It's very clear in scripture you may be familiar with, even if you've never been to church before, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, pretty big place, includes everyone. What did he do in response to that kind of love? He gave his one and only son that, here it is, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's for everyone. And, and oftentimes we'll stop at verse 16, but notice verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. There's a lot of talk about the world. <laughs> Why are we living so small? Why are we living so narrow-minded? Believing that everybody has to come to a place where they align with who we are, what we believe, how we act in order for us to all get along and to live and celebrate the hope that we have, why can't we celebrate that there is a God who is at the center of it all? And he is the great common denominator and the only common denominator that we need to get along and to live and to celebrate the hope that we daily have, the hope that's for everyone. See, if Jesus didn't condemn, like he's our ultimate example, right? He, if Jesus didn't come, come to condemn, why would we? I mean, does anybody have a, an example of a time when you argued someone into a relationship with God? You're like, all right, here we go. We'll set it up Thursday night. All right, we're going to come. You come with your beliefs. I'll come with my beliefs, and we're just going to go. And then whoever's more right, right, the other person's just going to go ahead and conform to, to their, their belief system, right? Like, nobody has that story. Nobody's, like, escalated to the point of anger. It's like, oh, yeah, why did that person come to know Jesus Christ? It's because, man, I was on fire. I was angry. I was pouring it down. And they were like, all right, I give up. I surrender my life to Jesus. Not going to happen, right? Think of the guy on the corner of the street, and don't see this, fortunately, as often, at least where we live, with the megaphone. 
Right, he's got the sign, you know, the billboard hanging over him, turn or burn, all right, sinners, all right, come on, right, you're, you're, you're going to hell. Why is there never a line of people waiting to talk to that guy? I've never seen it, and it's never going to happen because that person does not represent the grace and love of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Obviously, his means are wrong, but even his message it's not one that is actually going to be received because this is a person who does not lead with love. And so oftentimes we want to lead with information. We want to lead with persuasion. But the example that we see through the person of Jesus Christ is he always leads with love. He says it's for everyone. I didn't come to say, hey, get yourself together and then we'll have a talk. No, I came for the world to embrace where you are as you are. And he asked us to do the same. But let me be clear before we go any further. To be radically inclusive, which is Jesus' calling for our lives, is not to be radically tolerant. This isn't like, all right, peace, love, and blessings, everything's, everything is that you feel and that you want, and that you believe, you're good to go there. It's just one big group hug for life, and, and we all just you know, experience heaven together. It's, it's not like that. It's not what, to, what it means to be radically inclusive in our love and grace. There's still you know, certain boundaries, parameters, and, and, and guidelines that God has for our life, for the, the fullness of our lives. But what he means by being radically inclusive is to believe that everyone matters, starts there, and to live like hope is for everyone. Do we live in such a way that reflects that hope is actually for everyone? Or are we picky and choosy in the way that we interact with people? See, our task is to be representatives of Christ himself. Can you imagine? It's a high calling. Notice this vision for our lives, though, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. God has given us the task of telling, here it is, everyone what he is doing. We are Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences <laughs> and enter into God's work of making things right between them. So we get so hung up on our differences that we're wasting time, we're wasting our life when it's like align yourself with God, the ultimate common denominator so that you don't primarily see the differences that divide you and understand what unites you and then go love the world. Stop wasting your time sifting through how you differ on things. Because in the big picture of things, what God wants to be about, they really don't matter. And so hopefully many of us, if not all of us at both campuses today have experienced God as the great reconciler. He's made us right through the person of Jesus Christ and our sin. We have been reconciled to him. But now, it doesn't end with that. He desires for all, for the entire world to be reconciled. And for us to be about reconciliation of the world, we need to understand that there's no other. There is no them. There's only all of us. All of us. The same distance from the cross, the grace of Jesus Christ. Jesus had to travel the same distance for every single person who ever lived in order for us to have life. We can't earn ourselves. We can't put a resume out there that says, oh, okay, God doesn't have to come quite as far because you've proven yourself. No, we all have the same story. All of us need to be rescued by the grace of God. So the question is, do we live like it? Have we told everyone? Obviously not because Jesus hadn't come back yet. But in the meantime, this is our mission to go to the ends of the earth. And here's a great promise. Again, Romans chapter 10, verse 13, we see, see the same word. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Verse 14, next verse. How can they hear if nobody tells them? How can they hear if nobody tells them? And how is anyone going to tell them unless someone is, notice this, sent to do it? 
So here's where it gets real, where, right, this is one of those where it's like, oh, man, okay. This is a message where, like, it, it gets a little bit uncomfortable for every single one of us because to sincerely love, all-inclusively love the one in front of us, like Jesus loved us, it's going to get messy. It's going to be inconvenient. None of us are like, all right, let's go. Can't wait. Jesus is going to smooth things out, right? All these conversations we're going to navigate, they're going to be easy. No, it's, it's going to disrupt our agenda for our lives, <laughs> But God says this is what we're supposed to be about. And it begins with understanding the fact that we've been sent. We've been sent. That's our, that's our calling, understanding the nature of what it means to be sent. To know the love of Christ is to live like I've been sent. God sent his son to accomplish his work of grace on the cross. And now Christ sends us to let the world know about the work he has done. The sacrifice of love that was for them too. So think about this. If we don't, if we fail at this... And it's easy to. We're all inclined to fail at this. If we don't understand the significance of being sent, we will be content to merely sit. And we'll come to church, and we'll like church, hopefully, ideally, but that'll be the culmination, the fullness of our faith. And we won't actually live like we've been sent. Instead, we'll become expert sitters, merely being hope hoarders, is what I would call them. Sitting around being hope hoarders, like, oh man, you live in hope? You live in hope? All right, we're all happy in hope. That's great. I love my church, right? We're just going to wait around until Jesus comes back and bask in the hope that we have. <laughs> we're going to be hoarding our hope. Hope is meant to be distributed to the world. Is our church a refuge for the world or from the world? So the first church family, right? It's an exclusive family. You got to act a certain way, right? You got to believe you know, certain things in order to be included, or is there a place for, for everybody to encounter the grace of Jesus Christ? Is our, is our church a refuge for the world, a safe, accepting place, or is it merely a refuge from the world, this bubble that we can sit in where we're surrounded by people who act like us and believe what we believe and value same things and have the same preferences, and it's just, it's just easy, right? I wanna go to church where it's just easy. <laughs> I hope you don't. I hope you don't settle for something small like that. I hope we're consistently stretched where we have to navigate conversations, but we land on what ultimately connects us, unites us, the person of Jesus Christ. Because that's when people truly understand that a church family is the safest place in the world because they can be exactly who they already are. They don't have to dress up. They don't have to perform their way into approval. They just show up as they are. And then when they meet us, they catch a glimpse of the actual grace of Jesus Christ that reaches them right where they already are. Several years ago, uh, you know, I, I remember sharing this example when it first happened. Uh, I, I, I love the illustration of, of what happened in, in our, our world at large through a reality television show, of all things. But this was Britain's Got Talent. Maybe you recognize uh, this person on the screen. Her name's Susan Boyle. And a, a classic moment, don't have time on a Sunday morning to show the video, but I encourage you to get on YouTube and, and watch it. 46-year-old woman comes out on stage, big personality, she's excited, and immediately, this is what our, our culture at large does, just kind of size the person up, kind of assess them, like, oh, yeah, they're, this is going to be funny, they're, they don't have much talent. And so this is Britain's Got Talent, she's going to sing a song, and the judges ask her, you know, what, what's your goal? She says, I want to be a world-famous singer. Now, here's a 46-year-old woman, right? She has a quirky, goofy personality. And uh, when, when she says that, the camera scans the crowd, and you see scowls. You see people laughing, like, oh, brother, this lady's ridiculous. And they've already made up their mind, right? We've been there. We've seen this. And then she sings. 
and everybody's blown away. And she goes on to sell millions of albums. And when she sings, you see the look on the judge's face, the camera scans the crowd, they're amazed. How could that person have that kind of voice and perform at that level? Isn't that amazing? Here's the problem. She wasn't shown any value at all until she performed, until she proved herself worthy. And then people clapped, and then people cheered. What if there was a group of people out there who cheered somebody on right where they already were? They didn't have to prove themselves. They didn't have to act a certain way. They didn't have to say, hey, look at what I can do. I, I matter, right? I have a good voice. I can, I can behave right. I can, I can adapt to however you want me to act, right? And people do that all the time and they lose sight of who they actually are. Why? Because they want acceptance, they want love. But what if we love them where they already are? And I remember thinking at the time, you know, Susan Boyle being 46 years old, when she got the response that she did from the judges and the standing ovation from the crowd, she was blown away. She was shocked. She was surprised. How sad is that? A woman who for the first 46 years had no idea that she even had that kind of gift. She just loved to sing. <laughs> Nobody told her. Nobody told her. You have something special. We'll be, will we be a people, a group of people who are not just reactive or responsive, but we'll look for people to let them know how they matter and that they matter regardless of how they can prove themselves to the world. And they may have a long list of failures, of brokenness, of darkness in their life. They matter. And that's not just like a church value or our opinion. God said so. <laughs> he said so, and he proved it through his son, Jesus Christ. See, when we understand that we've been sent, it changes the way that we see. If we know that in our everyday living Every single place that we go is a place where we've been sent. We're nowhere on accident. It changes the way we see. We see our families, neighborhoods, and workplaces with fresh eyes. This is where God has brought me to do one thing well, to love others like he loved me. And so we spend many, much of our lives, what's my purpose? What's my calling? What does God want me to do with my life? Well, here's what it is for all of us all of the time, to love the one in front of us like we've been loved with grace with mercy, through inconvenience, knowing that it's worth it. So the reality is this, you are sent where you already are. Last week, we looked at the Great Commission, the Great Commandment, to go throughout all the world and to make disciples. In the context, the literal translation of that means as you are going. Now, oftentimes, we're like, we're praying, right? Okay, God, reveal to me what big thing in, in this life, my lifetime, you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? And then we wait. And oftentimes God has something next, but he always has something now. It's as you are going. It's not sitting around waiting for your moment. It's showing up to the moment that God has already given you as a gift, as an ideal opportunity. So our mission is right in front of us, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our homes. And so this is why this is such a hard conversation whenever we talk about this, because it is inconvenient. Like there are certain times, like I just want to check out, right? And, and we do, we need rest, right? And we need that time. Our family is our primary ministry. And and so my wife, Emily, and I, and now Levi, our family of three, like there's often times we look around the world and be like, whoa, this is too big of a task to love the world, to reach everyone. Let's just for a few minutes pretend like it's just our family of three in our nice little bubble and like, oh, okay, this is good. I don't feel the weight, the responsibility of all that God is calling me to. But there's a healthy burden, a holy discontent that God has called us to, to be bothered by the fact that there are people who don't know Jesus Christ. It's not fun. It's not easy, it's not convenient. The task of actually ex ex executing that on a daily basis 
is daunting. Howard Snyder once said this, church people think about how to get people into the church. Kingdom people think about how to get the church into the world. Church people worry that the world might change the church. Kingdom people work to see the church change the world. So if you come on a Sunday, and I hope you do, right, both campuses, right, invite people to church, right, but understand that's not the end, that's the beginning. If you come on a Sunday, we're gonna have church, we're gonna have a great time, we're gonna worship God, he's gonna be at the center of every single thing that we do. But as for the rest of the week, we're gonna be the church. We're going to be the church on the move. And so why do we come to church at all on Sunday? So that we can be better for the rest of the week. And so we're like, oh, okay, that was nice, right? Can't wait till next Sunday we come back. No, we're getting prepared. And so today, wherever you go for lunch, to, tomorrow, when you go to work, this is a preparedness, right? This is like a family meeting, like, all right, God, you're at the center, you're leading our lives. We're hoping that you're preparing us for something more than just a church service, and he will. The question is, the question becomes, are you available? Are we available to the work that God has in mind for us? Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. Paul's very clear. Here's what I want you to do, he says. God helping you, right? Spirit leading us and everything. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. And so it's important, right? Have morning prayers, have evening prayers, spend that time with God. But ultimately, when we wake up every single day, we live with the posture of, God, this day belongs to you. My moments, my interactions for the rest of the day, I want them to be led by, by your spirit. My life to you is an offering. Easier said than done. This is why it's a discipline to show up to God to every single moment. So am I available to be used by God? If so, then I understand there's no such thing as a wasted moment. I'm not just putting my time in waiting for the big moment. Uh, one of my favorite examples of this idea of as you are going, looking for opportunities to love the one in front of you, uh, I've shared before, but it's been a few years, uh, preacher Tony Campolo was traveling one time in a different time zone, and so he was wide awake at 3 a.m. when he was you know, outside of his uh, usual time zone. And so because he couldn't sleep and he got hungry, he decided to walk down the street to get something to eat. And a small diner was open. It was like a little donut shop and, and served other food there. And, and when he went in, uh, he saw that uh, there were several prostitutes gathering, right? It's three in the morning. So this is kind of the typical scene, you know, at that location at this time in the morning. And uh, he overheard a conversation happening between one of the girls named Agnes and another girl. Agnes was telling uh, another girl, hey, my birthday's tomorrow. And the girl, Tony Campolo, overheard this conversation. This girl responded back to Agnes, so what? You want me to make you a birthday cake, throw you a birthday party? Kind of a mean response. And Agnes said, no, I was telling you my birthday's tomorrow. I've never had a birthday cake, never had a birthday party. I was just kind of sharing with you my birthday's tomorrow. And so these, these ladies left, and Tony asked the, the owner of this diner, uh, do these, most of these women, these prostitutes, come in regularly? And the, the owner said that they did. And so Tony said, how about tomorrow we get people together and we throw a birthday party for Agnes? And so without Agnes knowing, they tried the best they could to get the word out. And so, you know, the way the story goes that, you, that it reads is about half the prostitutes in the area showed up the, the next night. They had worked out a, uh, a surprise party for Agnes. And so the diner, the shop owner and his wife had, had, had orchestrated this moment where when Agnes walked through the door the next night, there was a whole group of people there that yelled, surprise. Happy birthday, Agnes. She's blown away. Moved to tears. Naturally, this is the first time in her entire life. Not only had a, a birthday cake, but a birthday party. 
So they lit the candles on the birthday cake and they tell Agnes to blow the candles out and she does and they get ready to cut the cake and she says, wait, 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 can you stop? Can you wait? I don't want to cut the cake. They're like, okay, it's your cake. You can do whatever you want. And she wanted to embrace that moment, to sit in it for a few more moments. And she even asked, hey, can I take this cake home? (laughs) I can imagine she probably left that cake forever and just stared at it. And she lived just a couple of blocks down and she took the cake there and when she left to take the cake home, Tony and the the diner shop owner, uh, they were gathered around with all the other people there and they decided to, to say a prayer. So they all kind of gathered together, decided to say a prayer for Agnes and uh, everyone else who was, was sharing that moment. And after Tony finished saying the prayer, uh, the owner of the restaurant then said to Tony, I didn't know you were a preacher. What kind of church do you go to? Tony said to the restaurant owner, he said, I go to the kind of church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at three in the morning. And then the restaurant owner said to Tony, no, you don't. There's no church like that. If there was, I'd go to it. He literally laughed at the response. Like, there's no church like that, but what if there was? What if there was a kind of church that threw parties for prostitutes, for the outcasts, for those who society says has no value? Understanding how far God had to come to rescue us, we have to be in tune with our own brokenness, to understand how far God came to us and to understand that it doesn't end with us. And now we get to throw parties for literally everybody we encounter because they have value. We've been called to let them know they matter. And there's a story of the son of God that came all the way to meet with them. They're not excluded at all. It was for them. And for a lot of people, based on their history, that's too good to be true. It is. That's the beauty of grace. The reality is you are sent where you already are. Colossians chapter four, verses five and six is be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Be wise. So make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. Think about salt. We get to add value to people's lives. Let them know that they matter. To become radically inclusive is to understand that every person you know is just one prayer away from joining God's radically inclusive family, right? We live with an outward-focused mindset instead of being hope hoarders. We allow ourselves to be burdened by those living without hope. And so that changes the way that we see everybody. We get above our conditionality, knowing everyone is one prayer away. The angriest person you know is just one prayer away. The biggest control freak you know is just one prayer away. The most dangerous criminal is just one prayer away. The worst terrorist in the world is just one prayer away. Can you believe that? The meanest boss you've ever had is just one prayer away. Some of you are like, I don't know, my, you don't know my boss. He's, got, he's gonna need two prayers. It's true. <laughs> That's the grace of Jesus Christ. It's too good to be true. Worst boss you ever had. He's just one prayer away. Most hate-filled person you know is just one prayer away. At one time, you and me were just one prayer away. And now we have new life. May it not end with us. See, the mission of the church is not to sit around happy and saved, but instead to live with a sense of desperation reflected in urgent prayers for those who don't know God. Our prayer life reflects what we actually value. A sign that you are truly an inclusive person is that you pray for everyone who crosses your path who doesn't know Christ. And scripture says even your enemies, right? Whoever the them is in your life. Right? Most of us probably think, well, I don't have an actual enemy, but it's anybody that we disagree with, right? Someone that we're at odds with. The them in your life. 
Colossians 4.2, just before we are told to make the most of every opportunity, says this, devote yourselves to prayer. Devote. Think about, think about things you're devoted to, right? This is ongoing prayer. As you are going, right? It's not just morning prayer time, evening prayer time. As we are going, we are lifting the one in front of us up in prayer. So are we praying as we're going? At both the campuses, we have cards that at the Burlington campus, they're at the end of each row. And so whoever's at the end of the row, if you see them in the cup holder there, go ahead and pass them down your row. Uh, they should be in every row if we did not run out from the first service. At the Union campus, they were on your seat when you came. And so if you accidentally sat on them, just stand up for a brief second and pull that card out. And on that card, it says, my top five. And what I want all of us to do this week Many of you have already done this. You've been in prayer for, for people in your life that you know who don't have a relationship with Christ. I want us to establish a top five. Maybe your list gets longer. That's never a bad thing. But we want to make sure that we are praying for certain people in our lives that we come in contact with on a daily basis. And so think about this. This is, this is what's going to happen this week. Right, because this is the, this week's task, and then next week we'll talk about what comes next. But again, it's as you are going. Most of us have certain rhythms and routines. You wake up in the morning, maybe you go to the gym. Maybe you decide to look around a little bit more. Who is God leading me to, right, that I can pray for, maybe is my top five. The place that you get coffee. Somebody that you know there that's familiar. Uh, when you go to work, all kinds of opportunity. You know, somebody that you're typically in the break room with. Maybe it's a favorite lunch spot that you go to, the cashier there. When you go home at the end of the day, your neighborhood, as you're walking around, praying that God leads you to, to somebody that you can pray for, your own family, a dinner spot, the grocery store, the cashier that you've seen more, than, more times than, than once. Maybe you don't know their name. Maybe this week you decide you're going to take the time to get to know their name. God's going to lead you, right? Prayer can be a dangerous thing. God, use me? Heads up. He's going to use you. He's going to put people in your path that he wants you to pray for. This is a high responsibility, a high calling. So this week, establish your top five. And then on August 27th, which is a week from tomorrow, we're going to enter into 28 days of prayer. And that's going to culminate with Church at the Park. August 27th, and we'll talk more about this next week, to September 23rd, 28 straight days of prayer. And we'll talk more about this next week as far as the logistics and the timing. All of us praying together for our top five. Disciplining ourselves so that we can follow that command of devoting ourselves to prayer for what matters most. What matters most to God. That's people that don't yet know him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Notice this. Anyone, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Hopefully, many of us, if not all of us, at both campuses are celebrating the fact that we have new life. Right? Once we were dead, now we are alive because of the complete work of Jesus Christ in our lives. But may we not be content with that. May we know that new life is for everyone. So there are people out there who need, who are desperate for a new life. Many of them aren't even completely aware of it, but as we pray, as we lead ourselves into opportunities, making the most of every opportunity, knowing that every single person we encounter matters. When Jesus died so that everyone could live, he died so that everyone could live. Hope is for everyone. It is. Hope is for everyone. Let's live like it. Let's be a church that lives and loves and that communicates to the world around us. It includes you too. You matter. And God wants a relationship with you. It doesn't get any better than that.